didn't see you there. Something big is going on here. From hunting ghosts to Bigfoot, paranormal, UFOs, true crime, and more. We won't just be spouting articles. I was researching for your entertainment. Beginning of a new world. <laughs> the best guac you'll ever fucking eat. True story. It's basically like one day you walk outside and you see that the ants are playing with matches. This, this is, is the Black, Black Cat, Cat Report. Report. See you on the other side. By the time this Xmas greeting reaches you, I will have managed to get out of this place successfully. If you don't see me, then you'll know that I'm still in here thinking my way out. Did you believe that I would let you go so easy? The staff here usually keeps me pretty much sedated. You see, they like me and give me special favors. This is how I was able to get this letter started. Friends have been stopping by their Xmas cheer. They brought me a few Xmas cards the last time they were here, but forgot the envelope. So when they come to visit again, one of them will have to address the envelope, one that was forgotten, stamp it, and put it in the mail for me when he returns to New York. I don't want you to trace my whereabouts anyway. In the meantime, I'm trying to get a holiday pass so I can come and see you. This pass may last me a lifetime with you. It seems like yesterday when I wanted you to go back to where you came from. I hated you because I needed to live a normal and stress-free life again, but the thought of you wouldn't let me. Sometimes the hate still creeps out of me until I think about looking into those big, deep, brown eyes of yours, and the hate goes away. In fact, I can't wait to watch you move as you walk by going to kiss that pretty nose and inscribe our names with my lips on that full heart-shaped mouth that looks so unhappy but only at me. I will control the strong unnatural mind you possess and I will because I have learned so much about what has to be done here in this place. I enjoy the helplessness you show when you're not in control. You're fragile and lovely like like a blown glass figure. But, my lady of the sands, when you are in control, your tears become the swells of the sea, your breath has the strength of high winds, and your eyes become the storm that so faithfully protects you. Yes, you've inherited the unnaturalness of your ancestors through your mother's bloodline. St. Joan of Arc was a powerful woman when needed to be. Her strength came from above, just as yours has, but Joan's came from God. Yours comes from them. You were half of them, very similar to her. You are not a saint, but you are an angel. Linda, you don't belong here, but I'll find a place for you. When I do, you'll teach me your ways and your special language. Everyone thinks I'm crazy, you know. It's because they have never seen or heard what I have coming out of you. Richard and the other man just let me sit in this place knowing full well that I'm not crazy. They saw the very same things I saw in you. I want you to know that we have done our homework over all these months. To prove it, I have some information that no one else would have but you and your doctor. I told you that I would prove the difference in you, Linda. It isn't just in your eyes, it's in your cell structure. You didn't think I knew, did you? 
can't pretend this isn't true because it's there. We know you were put here on purpose, but we don't know exactly when. You do make good things happen to others, and it's no coincidence. I'll bet something nice has happened to everyone you've been close to or touched, but it hasn't happened to me yet. If you show this letter to anyone, you know that they won't believe me because I'm supposed to be crazy. That's clever, Linda, but what if they give me the benefit of the doubt? Then they'll find out that you are a half-breed. We'll be covering a lot of miles, Linda. Prepare yourself for a happy and comfortable life abroad. Pack your toothbrush in order to travel lightly at any time. You'll make a beautiful bride, dressed all in white, just like that morning of November 1989. If you see Richard, tell him I said, go to hell. <laughs> if I don't get out of here, I'll be thinking of you. If I do, I'll be looking at you. Oh Happy God. holidays, pretty. Oh, my God. That's terrifying. Dude is creepy, but he's pretty poetic, honestly. I'm just, you know, pretty, pretty disturbingly poetic. <laughs> he's fucking insane. <laughs> yeah. He's right where he belongs, actually. Mm -mm. Yep. For now. <laughs> um, I couldn't tell. That was a letter from our good friend, Danny, a.k.a. Dan. Old Danny. A man in a quote-unquote rest home. He's in, he's in an asylum. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's just on his, a rest stop, so he'll be, he'll be on his way soon. <laughs> Rest stop to the cosmos. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 46 of the Black Cat Report and the conclusion of our five-part series on the Brooklyn Bridge UFO abductions. My name is Gil, and I'm joined with here today by Joey. Hello. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. My name is Gil, and I'm joined with here today by Joey, ready to end the parade of episodes. Hello, I am five episodes deep right now. <laughs> and the interstellar, Selena. Hi there. I, for one, think this was a very interesting series, and you guys should definitely read the book. Yeah, 100%. Well, yeah. before we dive in, we wanted to say happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there, regardless of the wiggle bits you were born with, or if your baby is a cat, a dog, a human hybrid, or whatever, if you've got a pair of loving young eyes looking up to you, this is your day. And thank you for all you do. Aww. Aww. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> Woo! Mm -hmm. Now, where we last left off in part four, Richard just sent a very loaded letter to Bud that claimed that he and Linda had both been regularly abducted since they were young children and brought to a large, bright, empty room where they were forced to hang out with each other. These near-nightly hangouts would eventually diminish in frequency, but not before Mickey, as Linda called Richard, and Baby Ann, as Richard called Linda, would change in the biblical sense as they inevitably matured. Richard would go on to point out the impeccable timing of their last visit where they both got physical and 
the birth of Linda's youngest son, Johnny. Let's get physical, physical. <laughs> oh my God, that was exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> well, after reading through this letter, Bud very carefully questioned Linda for confirmation before leading her through another hypnosis session, the result of which not only corroborated hundreds of tiny details, but also revealed Linda's earliest abduction memory from when she was seven at a community pool, and ultimately sealed the incredibly high likelihood of Richard being Johnny's actual dad. Now, this case has been a doozy, and to be honest, we've only scratched the surface of the memories that were uncovered, the eyewitness accounts from the night Linda was abducted near the Brooklyn Bridge, and the incredible efforts Bud Hopkins made to not just document a constantly winding story, but follow up and confirmed you know, differences in writing styles, dates, times, tone, letter formats, typefaces, and paper used between various typewriters. He approached each new claim and piece of evidence with the honest skepticism of a CSI investigator. And in my opinion, this is why this case is so incredibly complex. You see, from 1989 to what is now 1992 in the story, Bud was in constant contact with Linda, related abductees and witnesses from that night. Just as the police reports and documentation become more and more detailed, the closer they get to the moment they catch a serial killer, so too do the details around abductions get when they are able to be recognized early and recorded in almost real time. Our main source for this series, The Brooklyn Bridge UFO Abductions by Bud Hopkins, reads like the diary of an investigation taking place over the course of years, and not like pieced together memories from a collection of events 20 or 30 years after they happen. This is essentially like the Trumbull County UFO tapes from episode 31, but for an investigation into UFO abductions. So let's dive in. How exciting! Mm-hmm. Not long after Linda received Dan's Christmas letter would, well, the issue with Dan come to a head. On February 22nd, 1992, Linda was at the South Seaport shopping with her friend Carmilla when she spotted Richard standing with three or four well-dressed men in suits tucked in amongst the crowd. Caused by either the alert expression on their faces or complex PTSD triggered by similar run-ins in the past, Linda was now experiencing a full state of panic. She couldn't, for the life of her, shake the feeling she was about to be kidnapped. As if on cue with these sinking feelings, she saw Richard notice her and watched as he began moving towards them. Linda ducked, trying to sneak through the crowd and move away from the approaching Richard and his group of men. But no sooner did she begin her escape than she would find herself struggling as Richard was pulling her away, kicking towards the doorway of a nearby office building. It would be at this point, here in the doorway of a closed office, that a hilarious misunderstanding would take place. Richard, always the hornball, held her firmly against the wall. His body pressed up against hers as he spoke into his radio to inform his crew that she had been secured. Well, while he was calling this in, Linda began squirming her hands down by his waist, taken back by what he thought was about to go on. <laughs> Sorry. This was a funny scene. Um, yeah, he was like, oh. Well, while he was calling this in, Linda began squirming her hands down by his waist, 
Taken back by what he thought was about to go on, he eased up and allowed Linda full reach. To the handgun she had borrowed from a friend and had been carrying in her waistline. Oh, Hell God. yeah. <laughs> he was like, oh, hand job? No, murder. Here. Murder. Um, <laughs> well, she whipped it out and pointed it straight at Richard's head, saying what I can only describe as the perfect line for someone that isn't used to carrying a gun. Quote, shithead Mickey, I'm going to shoot your face off. Heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who says that? Is this um, the first time she acknowledges him as Mickey? Yes. <laughs> to his face. Imagine the wow. emotional roller coaster. He's like, she remembers. She wants to kill me. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, in response, Richard stood with a calm demeanor, disguising his shock. Well, it was a serious situation. It wasn't exactly his first time facing down the barrel of a gun. After a brief pause, he yelled out, There's Dan! Which literally and comically tricked Linda into reflexively like turning around to look, giving Richard just enough time to take the gun and disarm Linda. Naturally. I mean, the dude's a professional government security agent guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know, but it's just so silly. It's like something you do when you're a kid. When you're in yeah. trouble, you're like, uh, look over there. I mean, in all fairness, they've been playing games like that since they were like seven. So. Yeah. And just um. random Jada Essence Hall, famous for look over there in her season mm-hmm. of Drag Race. The end. Look over there. But when the quick struggle was over, Linda found Richard to be motionless staring at her, seemingly frozen in place, giving her the opportunity to run. She took it, soon found herself blocks away, exhausted, sitting alone at Battery Park. It was here that Richard would eventually find her, and this time approach Linda a little more casually, without the presence of a goon squad. But they eventually settled into a less adrenaline-inspired conversation. Richard would tell Linda and reveal in a letter later to Bud just why he was there, squatted up and chasing her. But Linda didn't know at the time was that Dan was in the area and he was looking for her, along with a small group of agents who had also been present that fateful November morning of Linda's very public abduction. You see, contrary to what many aspiring debunkers try to claim as a weak point in the story, there was actually a fairly large security detail present when transporting the Secretary General of the United Nations. This is standard practice. They don't just trust someone so important with two people driving. They have multiple cars moving as a caravan and have visual checkpoints along the route. If there is any break in the scheduled plan, they scramble and either make necessary adjustments or take action to deal with the problem. I'm pointing this out because if you look into this case outside of our series, people are like, how come there was only Dan and Richard? How come there was blah, 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 blah? And it's because they didn't read past 50 pages into the book. That's it's that's the same why. Thing as, <laughs> yeah, it's the same thing as the, Rosicru- the Rosicutions for that um, modern day uh, Stonehenge. Georgia uh, Guidestones, and they were yeah. like, "What is the mystery? Why? How could yeah, you possibly?" Yeah, and then the guy's like, "Yeah, he's like, here's, here's a everything you need to know." 
Yeah. And everyone's like, what could it mean? Mm-mm. Yeah, wh- what was his meaning behind it? It's I like, can't you mean read. The, the pamphlets he literally gave out to everybody the day that they were unveiled and then proceeded to send to like every representative across the country? <laughs> mm. <laughs> I don't know. How could you possibly figure it out? Well, well Dan and Richard are the main characters. Linda's the you main know? character. Well, Linda. Well, I mean, like the the main security people, and the yeah. Linda is the main character. But like the main security people, you can't have like thirty people, you know, with with names in this, and then people are just like, wait, who's what? Wait, who did what? Who did what? And these yeah. guys are like the ones that are actually going after her consistently. Exactly, exactly, and like that's also why the story is so complex between them because like. Mm-hmm. Richard has this like long history and Dan was really close. And also they had the direct experience with the third man where they were like abducted and sitting on a beach. And like Linda was all like, why did you do this? Like holding a dead fish, you know? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. So they had the more intimate experience that night. Right. Mm-hmm. But there were a lot of other people there. <laughs> and on the morning of November 30th, 1989, multiple security personnel witnessed not only seeing Linda floating 12 stories off the ground, but they also experienced lost time. This would get revealed later when Richard went through and sent in letters that he had received from multiple security personnel, all written differently, all in different hand styles and writing. And I guess you would say like lexicons, like linguistic formats and phrasing. It was from different people basically but it was all a bunch of their accounts and how they were confused about what had happened but reporting this situation wasn't exactly a simple matter there was as there is now a stigma in claiming to have witnessed such events and the reality is if anyone were to deny seeing it which many would then those maintaining the story would be found mentally unfit and lose their careers all of which means they simply couldn't talk about it, or at least not officially. This led to a handful of security agents retaining their interest off the record, while others chose to live in denial. And so when Dan escaped the, quote, rest home and made his way to New York, he had contacted some of these old friends from that night, eventually convincing them to help him look for Linda under the guise of questioning her. Well, Shortly before the run-in at the seaport, Richard had reached out to his and Dan's mutual friend and confirmed that Dan was not only off of his rocker, but actively planning to kidnap and drug Linda before making good on two one-way tickets to England and fake passports he had recently acquired. Jesus Christ. Real quick. (laughs) I know know that's a lot to unpack, but is everybody following that so far? Yep. Mm -hmm. Guys, Looney Tunes. Richard Richard heard about Dan's escape, went to New York, was actively trying to figure out where the hell Dan was and was basically trying to investigate where Dan was and keep an eye on Linda. He heard that Dan was like basically hours away potentially from like getting Linda. So he got together with his group of friends, his security buddies, and were like we need to stop this bullshit from happening, right? He shows up, he's looking for Linda. She has like this like weekend habit of like going to the same area in the South Sea Seaport, shopping. He knew where she would be. He gets there. So they're looking for Linda and looking for Dan and his crew. <laughs> right? Or well, Dan, mm-hmm. sorry, scratch that. 
Dan went there solo at first, met up with these other folks who were also monitoring Linda. There's like 90 people chasing Linda. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, she's very popular. Yeah. And Richard straight up like squatted up and is like, we're dealing with this shit. Right. Mm -hmm. He said, not my baby, Ann. Mm. Not my baby's mama. (laughs) (laughs) Not my baby. (laughs) Nice. Well, this brings us to Dan's demise. Now, as I said earlier, uh, we know about some of the events from that day. Linda was chased at the seaport because, well, Richard would write a long, very detailed letter to Bud. And in this letter, Richard revealed a very vague conclusion for an unhinged man with a plan, Dan. As it turns out, that evening, while Linda was safe at home, Dan was being kept for, quote, questioning at the apartment of one of Richard's security friends. Apparently, when Richard arrived and attempted to speak with Dan, things escalated. And now Linda doesn't ever need to worry about running into him anymore as he's been, quote, dealt with. Dealt with. (laughs) Jesus. Bye, Dan. Yeah. Dan's no longer on the run. Nope. Yeah. It reminds me me of the song Goodbye, Earl. Hmm. I haven't heard that one. Um... One of the lines is like, turns out he was a missing person that nobody missed at all. <laughs> it's about two best friend girls, two girl best friends. Um, one of them starts like traveling abroad. The other one um, meets a guy named Earl, falls in love, moves to Vegas with him. And then he beats the shit out of her. And then she tries uh-huh. to divorce him and she goes to the ICU. So the girl that's abroad comes back and they decide that Earl has to die. So they kill him. And the cops are like, thank you, ladies. Let me know if you hear anything from him. So they were like, but that's one of the lines, yeah. And it just goes, nice. good, like, goodbye, Earl. Yeah, it's, it's a good song. It's very fitting for Dan. It is. That's why. Mm-hmm. Unhinged Christmas letters. Good call. Well, let's fast forward a little bit to late May during Memorial Day weekend of that same year was then there would be the first official signs of a broader, more widespread abduction phenomenon across the Cortile family. It was around 2.30 a.m. on Sunday morning when Linda woke up on her convertible couch in the living room. She was choking on blood dripping down her throat. While leaning over the kitchen sink, heaving, trying to spit the sharp taste of iron out of her mouth, she realized that the blood was coming from her right nostril. Eyes still watery and blurry from coughing, she looked up and saw her 16-year-old son, Stephen, and his friend, Brian, standing at the edge of the kitchen, both with blood dripping from their right nostril. Soon, they were all sitting in the living room, damp paper towels pressed against their noses, trying to stop the bleeding when both Johnny and Linda's husband would walk in, also with blood dripping from their right nostrils. So now... We have five people sleeping in three separate rooms, all waking up at the same time with identical nosebleeds. Just a just so a coincidence. So weird. That's insane. It would be so terrifying to wake up choking on your blood and then like mm-hmm. having to like spit it out, and like literally all of them woke up that way. Like in the book, it's like 
you know, choking on blood, going out to the, the living room or the bathroom, and everyone's, like, trying to, like, squeeze the bridge of their nose to stop the bleeding. Yeah. And they had a friend over, the, her sons. Brian, yeah. Yeah. And, like, it happened to him, too. And it was weird. super weird. But here's the next twist. When Linda was finally cornered by Brian's mom days later, she wasn't mad. In fact, she would reference something that, along with the incident itself, would spur this investigation to go deeper. See, when Brian's mom called Linda to ask about the blood she had discovered on Brian's t-shirt, Linda kept quiet, too nervous to share her honest thoughts about what had really happened. Well, as she played dumb, Brian's mom landed on a very interesting question. Linda, did you happen to see that movie on TV a while back, Intruders, that had to do with UFO abductions? She then went on to reference the scene where the little boy had a nosebleed from his right nostril, and then flat out asked Linda if she thought, maybe that night, the reason they had all had nosebleeds was because of UFOs. The conversation continued for a moment until Brian's mom revealed that as a young boy at four or five years old, just before he started going to school, Brian told his mom that little people would come into his room at night and talk to him. Ew. Whoa. <clears throat> yeah, so... Bud would go on to meet with Brian and his family and investigate their claims, only to reveal that they in fact had a long, detailed history of strange stories, missing time, and casebook symptoms of abductions themselves. And also, it was like through generations of their family. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, like, they were like, okay, so my son, and then they're like, also me. Um, also, also our grandparents. My grandparents. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Yeah. There's a major part of this book that's dedicated to Bud investigating, like, their whole family. <laughs> like, literally just going in and, like, they weren't able to investigate Brian's dad, but they were able to investigate, like, Brian's grandparents and, like, a bunch of crazy stories with that. And, like, this shit's been going on a long time. Right. Hmm wonder if this family or like these sets of families have certain dna or genetic modifications or things that most other people don't have so they're looking through their family and dna just to see what what's going on and see if the past is down see if or diseases or, maybe or something i honestly think it's the way that people track animals like they track them generationally too to see like mm. patterns mm-hmm True. So that's what I think, because honestly, the way they treat people they abduct is like very mm. like science fiction, like, you know, like when we drug animals um, mm -hmm. to like perform operations on them, mm -hmm. you know, and they don't even know that they have something wrong because, you know, yeah, and their, it's e weird. their ear gets tagged. So maybe the mm -hmm. nose is the tag or. I mean, you know. when they go to take care of pandas at the zoo, the zookeepers will dress up as pandas and go yeah, into the tanks. pandas are just <laughs> like a, a different breed. They're sweet. Mm. I know, but but I'm just saying, like, dressing up as humans and coming down 
Mm. <laughs> it's like it tracks. I mean, that's, they stay that's a lot the more calm. It keeps yeah. them, yeah. It it keeps them a lot more calm, and they don't get as much anxiety when we dress and look like them. You know, when we go into their cage. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the men and women in black. Mayhaps. Um, shout out to uh, Tim and Rachel for getting me an awesome case book on the Men in Black for my birthday. Well, mm-hmm. now this incident didn't just lead Bud into an investigation of Brian's family, but it would also encourage Bud to quickly follow up on the growing mountain evidence pointing towards abductions taking place across Linda's entire family, specifically with her son, Johnny. Now, if you recall that in part four of this series, the memories Linda had of a large, round, white room played a significant role in unlocking a lot of the more intricate and potentially intimate details of Richard and her's relationship. That information wasn't revealed until about 1991, but here's the kicker. Johnny had not only spoken with Bud, but given him drawings in December of 1989, just weeks after Linda's notorious November abduction. And when he gave Bud these drawings, he not only explained seeing, quote, little men in a, quote, round room, but also went on to tell Bud about how they had only four fingers and spoke with their mouths closed. He was six years old at the time. Terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you do get a copy of the book, all these images, um, like they're included in the book. You can actually see all of his little drawings, which Selena quickly pointed out that when he did his little drawing at a part that we're about to be covering, he even drew his little pee-pee because he was standing in his dreams with no underwear on. But we're about to jump into that. With that said, here's the transcript of the conversation between Bud Hopkins and a now nine-year-old Johnny the day after everyone woke up with nosebleeds. Bud starts off by asking him what he remembered from that night. We all woke up, including Brian, and we all had nosebleeds in the same nostril, in in the right nostril. Did you have your head on the pillow at the time? I, I don't remember. Well, I was wondering if there was blood on the pillow. I, I don't know. I was, it was running down my throat. I, I woke up because I was almost choked. I was sleeping in my parents' bed with my father because Brian was in my bed. Do you remember anything at all about that night? Let me put it this way. Whether you remember anything clearly or not, you can sometimes have dreams. When you're choking and stuff, you know, it's running down your throat. You can have you can have funny dreams that can wake you up. Did you have any dreams at all? Well, yeah, just the usual dreams. Tell me about the usual dreams. What were they about? Fooling around in school and, you know, causing trouble? No, I I dreamt about my imaginary sister. Your imaginary sister? Well, uh, tell me about her. That sounds like a nice dream. What did she look like? Uh, she had long blonde hair. Uh, she had white pajamas. White pajamas? You mean, like, two-piece pajamas? Yeah. Like a kid would wear pajamas and not, you know, street clothes. Yeah. Well, that's a nice dream to have about an imaginary sister. Was she your age? Nine? Or was she older? Was she, like, 15? 
No, she's seven, uh, about seven or eight. How do you know? Does it just seem that way? Yeah, it, it just seems that way. Does she have a name in your dream? Yeah, her name is Melody. Melody, what a, what a pretty name. And you know, bud, Melody uh, kind of reminds me of Lemon, you know? Why does she remind you of Lemon? Because Melody reminds me of Yellow, and Yellow reminds me of Lemon. You said she had blonde hair. Were you thinking of that when you thought of Yellow? Was it connected with that? Well, not really. It's just a name that kind of gets me on it. What'd she look like? Well, she's very pretty, and she's, um, she's very nice. Do you kind of like her? Yeah. Well, it's, it's nice to have a dream like that. Now, in the dream, where was she? Was she in your room with you, or in your house, or... You know, where was she? No, she was in a room, a place. It, it was all white, lots of sunlight, all white. Oh, lots of, lots of sunlight. That's, that's pretty. Were there lots of trees, you know, like palm trees? Uh, there were no trees. It was just all white with sunshine. And there was this building in it. It kind of looked like, uh, you know, um, airports have these little like little uh, flying saucers, like dishes. Wait a second, what? Dishes? You know, the those little dishes that you put coffee on. Saucers. Yeah, it looked like that. The, the building did. Yeah, it looked like at airports, you know, where planes come in and uh, take off. It, it looked like that. Well... In this dream, is there anyone else there? For example, was, was Steven there? No, it was just me and the little girl and a man. A man? Yeah, a man and my mom. Tell me about this man. The man was really tall. Uh, he had dark blue pajamas, no pajama top. Uh, he had kind of a light light sandy hair with gray going through it yeah was this a was this a bad guy no he was very nice did you and the guy talk in the dream yeah he hugged me when they took her away who took her away uh two really tall blonde men uh-huh were these two nice guys bad guys or what uh, they were very mean. They didn't even give me a chance to say goodbye to her. They didn't. No, they were very mean. They didn't listen to me. They didn't answer me. They just kept walking her away. And we both felt really sad. Yeah, I can imagine. Have you, have you ever seen this girl before? Oh, yeah, several other times in my dreams. Melody, does she know your name? Does she call you John? Yeah? In the dream, does she call you John? Yeah, sh she does. And we always make believe that, you know, we're brother and sister, because we like each other a lot. I see. Well, 
you had a nice dream. That's that's terrific. Um, was Stephen there talking? No, nobody was there except for me, the little girl, the tall man, and my mom. Uh-huh. And you said he was wearing blue pajamas. Uh, blue pajama bottoms, dark blue, with no pajama top. I was in my underwear. I don't know why. Every time I go to sleep in my underwear, I always dream that I'm in my underwear. <laughs> do you sleep in your underwear or do you wear pajamas? I sleep in my underwear and I don't want to, you know, be in my underwear in front of a nice girl. Well, of course not. Uh, do you mean like a t-shirt and jockey shorts? No, briefs. Uh, what was your mom wearing? Uh, she was wearing a white nightgown, no sleeves. Does she have one like that in the real world? Well, yeah, of course she does. She sleeps in it almost every night. She has a robe, too, that matches. Was she wearing it that night? Yeah, and it was half on. How How did this dream start? You, you go to bed. You go to sleep. How does this start? Are you suddenly with her? Or do you get in a car? Or get in a bus or a taxi? I don't really remember. I'm just there. And there's nobody there but your mom and this other man. Nobody there but me, my mom, the tall man, and the little girl. This tall man, is he a stranger to you in the dream? Or is he a friend? Or is he scary? Or, or what? Is he a stranger to me in the dream? Yeah, but he's, he's very nice. Does he have a name in the dream? I, I don't know. Well, Melody had a name. I don't know his name. I just call him Tall Man. So he's in the dream, and he's a nice guy, not a bad guy. No. The bad guys, you said, are the people who came and took Melody away from you. And the Tall Man, he was very nice. He started comforting me when they took her away. How did he comfort you? He started to hug me and stuff, and I was crying. Do you think that Melody is uh, in the dream? Is she somebody who goes to school with you? Or, I don't know. There's nobody like her in my school. After they take her away, how does the dream end? The dream ends. I, I just wave goodbye, crying. And that's the last thing. Yeah. And the next thing is you wake up and you've got a nosebleed. No, I'm left alone with my mom and the tall man. Well, dreams are always kind of crazy, and they do funny things. When, when they take her away, where do they go? Do they get in a car and drive away? No, they go into the building. Does she seem sad to say goodbye? Oh, yeah, we're, we're both very sad. Isn't it nice to have a dream girl like that? Yeah. You know, we we all talk about dream girls. When I was a kid, I had a dream girl. Maybe you'll meet her someday. Did this seem like a dream? Did it seem like a dream? Uh, not really. It kind of felt really, really real, you know? What were, what were some of the other things about it that seemed more real than other things?
Well, what seemed very real was the tall man and the tall men. Uh, everybody was very real, but the place, it, it seemed make-believe because I had no trees. I had no flowers. It must have had some grass or some roads. I'm, I'm sure it had them. No, it, it didn't even have that. It didn't even have a pebble. Well, it must have had a building in the background, apart from what you described. Yeah, that's all. And all that was there was that building and the sunshine and everything was white. And me and Melody and Mom and the tall man and the tall men. These tall men, did they seem like anybody you'd ever seen or met before? Yeah, they were, but they were very tall and had blonde hair, and they just took her away. They didn't even turn around to say, shut up to me or anything like that. Have you ever seen these men before or dreamed about them? Yeah, I've had dreams about them before. Have you ever dreamed about Melody before? Oh, yeah. How many times? Oh, about four. In the past year, the past two years, three years, or what? How long has it been since you dreamed about her? Oh, I don't know how long it's been. But you feel like she's a sister. Yeah, she treats me like a brother, and I treat her like a sister. When you were with her, John, what did what did you talk about in the dream? Silly stuff or, or what? Oh, we wouldn't talk. We'd just laugh and play and run around. We didn't talk about anything. I, I don't think. I, I can't remember. The only thing that came out of our mouths was laughter. You laughed. It was, it was fun then. A nice dream. Now, I'd like to get this absolutely straight. You went to bed and you're sleeping you said, with, with your father. Yeah. You were wearing your underwear. Uh-huh. And you had this dream. And when you wake up, you're having a nosebleed. Uh, and bud, I, I went into the bathroom, and I felt like I was going to completely throw up when I saw the blood. I mean, I was scared. I, I didn't know what was happening. And then I ran into the living room, and my mom and my brother and Brian were sitting on the couch, and they all had nosebleeds in the same nostrils as everybody. And and my father was there, too, and he was bleeding, and he never has nosebleeds. It's odd that you, know, you all would have them at once. I wasn't surprised when I saw I had a nosebleed. I have nosebleeds all the time. It's, it's not new to me, but, but with everybody else? Anything else you can think of that you want to tell me? I, I don't remember anything else. You've been very helpful, you know, John. What I try to do is... I try to put pieces together and try to figure out what's going on, and I don't know what's going on here. Yeah, and I, I'm scared about it. You're scared? Uh-huh. Tell me, tell me what you're scared about. I'm scared that I'm going to keep having these dreams, and I don't want Melody to be taken away. I, I like her. And there may be something worse with me because I keep having nosebleeds. Well, I know you, and you're a very healthy little boy, and I don't think that there's anything the matter with you at all, so I, I wouldn't worry about that. 
Think about Melody being taken away from you in your dreams. That's sad. I understand that, and I sympathize with you, but you think she's the only in your dreams? She's, she's not in school or with you or something? No, but I hope I really meet her in school someday where I can actually be with her. And that's the end of their recorded dialogue. Whoa. Setting <clears throat> up the next generation. Yeah. So, basically, um, you know, uh, Johnny just said that other than seeing little men in his room from time to time, um, he would meet a friend in his dreams at night in a bright white room no trees, horizon, or anything else in it. She'd be brought in by two strangers uh, who were tall, had blonde hair. Um, His mom would be there along with another tall man who was very nice to him and looked a lot like Richard, who would also later reveal he, in fact, had woke up on Memorial Day weekend with a nosebleed. Yeah. And memory of being there yeah and he said we were saying goodbye yeah wow so i wonder who melody is well i yeah (laughs) that that's the thing so i don't know like the truth be told like there is no real conclusion to all of this. Just a strong case pointing to a very controversial idea and multiple lives left suffering through never-ending questions. For years before and after this book's release, Richard would call on Johnny's birthday and leave messages on the family's answering machine, singing him happy birthday and wishing him well. Bud Hopkins would pass away in 2011, and Linda Cortile, whose real name would eventually come out as Linda Napolitano, is assumed to still be alive, but keeping a low profile, just as the rest of her family and those involved in this case are. Richard also um, let Bud know, I think, that Johnny will be taken care of if anything ever happens to him. He will never need anything, he said. Oh, that's nice. But so weird. Yeah. There's there's a lot of these kind of just, it's a lot of very soft conclusions. You know, like at the end of the story, there's no real hard conclusion that happens with any of this. Oh, that's kind of like life, though. I mean, you never really get a true conclusion to most anything. That's true. You Um, you just kind of live. Yeah. And so, with the case wrapped up, but with the mystery continuing, I would like to point out a very common discrepancy. That is, the widespread acknowledgement of there being UFOs in our skies. UFOs not just from black budget projects hidden away by 
you know, U.S. government or some secret tech spying on us by a foreign adversary. No, I mean extraterrestrial UFOs, crafts from off-world, another dimension, maybe even another time. Well, as the evidence piles up and connections between the cases of UFO encounters during, say, World War II and from only a few years ago start to build ever stronger arguments for popular acceptance of the phenomenon where their parallels are a little bit too close and they're a little too separated from any point in our advancement in technology, there's one glaring issue that inevitably comes to light. Who's flying them? If we can accept there is something here, we have to then accept that something is piloting the craft. Even if they are all drones, who sent them? What are they doing? And more importantly, why? This is, for me, one of the strongest arguments for the reality of there being legitimate cases of UFO abductions. Just as we send craft deep into our oceans to study the behavior of creatures, tag them with tracking devices and monitor their life from start to finish, so too, in my mind, may we be the fish, swimming through the darkness of space, collecting data for an intelligence we've been in contact with but cannot understand. Dun, dun, dun. Boom. Woo! What a conclusion! Multi-generational kidnappings by aliens. Mm -hmm. A weird lifelong uh, dating service by aliens. Yeah, they're pretty much not like aliens dating people. They're just them getting together and being like, hey, I wonder if this person... They're like, they're breeding them in a way yeah because they're like hey you know not in a i guess it, it's kind of like they're they're inceptioning these people too because it's like you know they're they're getting because like she met somebody and married somebody else richard i don't think met anybody but they're he was divorced they're pretty much oh divorced well he met somebody and it probably like he said he could because he couldn't get his baby Anne. Ugh. Um, but it's it's crazy because they're just kind of like being like, "Oh, you two belong together. We're gonna make you so you guys always think about each other from when you're a kid." Because when you're a kid, you get those memories, like nostalgia memories too, of like that person. And like as kids, like there's like you don't do anything wrong in quotations. Like you know, you're kind of just like these innocent kids, and so like you get these grand memories of this person, and it kind of can help ruin most of your life, you know. Mm -hmm. well that's tough i also like to i guess to piggyback on that a little bit um when you set up uh, experiments you try to reduce the amount of variables right mm -hmm. um and if you are setting up a study right of say like what the the bonding like habits are of human beings putting them on say some uh, some cute little like romantic date at a cafe or things like that. There's so many other influences that are going on in that situation. Mm -hmm. In that situation. So taking them when they were kids before they reached puberty and putting them in a controlled environment, 
and making sure that the only thing that they actually have as a memory is the experience of bonding, mm-hmm. right? Until they eventually, you know, like have sex and produce a child or whatever. You're cutting out so many variables. You're cutting out the variables of there being any influence of their family, of their friends, of, you know, drunken nights coming home from the club. Like anything is cut out from it. It's just the perfect, like, you know, uh, what I'm looking for, like emotionally sanitary environment, <laughs> right? To put yeah. them in and to study that moment where love is created and there's a connection that's made, right? That's mm-hmm. as close as you could possibly get to it. So, if you were studying the connective behavior of us as a species, it's kind of as far as you can go with it, you know, and then you just observe and then you take those kids and you observe and then you take those kids and you observe and you would have them spread out between different walks of life, different races, different religions, different, you know, just like all Mm -hmm. across the board, you would keep trying to combine these variables and just be like, so what does this look like here? cool what does this look like here cool i don't know i mean that's how you'd run the experiment i think true yeah Mm -hmm. it's basically an alien love is blind experiment Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or a really fucked up reality tv show 90 day fiance (laughs) except it's like instead of 90 straight days it's like 90 like interactions Mm -hmm. over a lifetime until fiance Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's nuts. Yeah, I don't know, mm-hmm. but I still stand by the argument of, or the point that, if we're going to accept, right, or if it's going to become more acceptable that crafts exist and they're from other worlds, mm-hmm. we have to ask why, and we have to ask who's piloting them, who's driving them. Like, there's got to be a reason. So what the fuck are they doing when they get here? It really does beg the question. But everybody's willing to be like, that's a UFO. But don't you dare talk to me about anything being inside of it or having a reason. It's like, uh, okay. Well, it's funny to compare the two experiences that Linda had and then Betty had. Mm. You know? And how the abductions worked comparatively. And maybe just they were not the same alien species abducting so maybe there were different different ideas of what was happening so you know um like we joke about that quasga sent they sent the b team for quasga you know <laughs> yeah and they're like the they're like the jokers like the practical jokers of their groups and just like having fun but betty also treats it in a different way and it technically is only her being abducted in this part so her part in the in quotations experiment might have been to to get the different reactions out of her but for linda and her family it's like everybody's getting abducted you know so they're kind of these people are seem more like they're actual scientists because there's no for the aliens in this one or the beings excuse me in this Mm -hmm. one there's no there's no like interaction with the people there's no like talking there's no real like they're basically just being scientists in linda's version of it but in the other one they're being like the the buddy next door that that's like the super you know uh what's it called like high intelligent being just being like look at all these cool tools we have you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) oh dude you gotta try this chair you gotta try the chair (laughs) 
But like the difference is crazy. So it like makes me think that yeah. they're, I don't know, it could be just like us humans where we have like all the scientists, you know, that'll come in there and they, they, they're strictly there for science. And then you have like the fun people that are in there just being like, what the fuck? Let's go have some fun, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, there's a difference between um, actual, like, say, like, biologists studying animals in the mm-hmm. Sahara and um, a tour group going by. Yeah. <laughs> it's like putting carrots outside towards the zebra, you know, like, yeah. out through the little cuts. Like, um, there's a huge difference in that. But and the even, point even the vehicles they're yeah. driving look different. <laughs> yeah, completely different. Yeah. Which makes sense for what happened. Yeah, for both. There's a lot of parallels. I don't know. Um, But I I can't. This case is definitely one of the most well-documented. And I I fully stand by that. Like, Mm -hmm. we barely scratched the surface with how much of the, like, points of legitimacy that Bud Hopkins really goes through. Just painstaking efforts to explain and then connect in this story. Jesus Christ, there's pages and pages just written about how the third man formula like uses his layout in letters and uses specific phrasing that was only unique to Britain in this one area where he eventually traces to the fact that this dude who's actually from South America was educated at the school. Like he traces everything back, right? Yeah. Um and it's it it's wild so like i can only speak to that legitimacy around like damn he tried as an investigator as to take it as far as he could possibly go and to tell everybody about it um but i also yeah like it's because he was actively involved in the case like they investigated themselves joey i think you said this in i don't know part one however many years ago that was for this series um you know like bud hopkins is a character in this story. Like he is playing an active role. It's not just him as an investigator coming in and doing hypnotic regression and then being like, cool, tell me about this from 20 years ago. You know, it's Uh like day by day. Like there's sections of this book where Bud is talking about doing dead drops and like leaving recordings with questions and stuff like that for Richard. And then a month and a half later, he checks the area where they drop messages and Richard had left him a tape recording, right? With like answers mm-hmm. to things. And like this goes on for years and it's very moment to moment. It's like th- literally the evening, it was like Linda almost got kidnapped or whatever at Seaport. Mm-hmm. And that night she was telling Bud Hopkins. <laughs> you know, they all yeah. wake up with nosebleeds at 2 30 in the morning. By that afternoon, Bud Hopkins is talking to Johnny on the phone. Yeah. Like this, it's so, and so, of course, there's a million like details around this. And we, mm-hmm. we don't get that with cases very often. I can't think mm-hmm. of any other yet. Mm-mm. Yeah. I don't know. Everybody, we love y'all. Thank you so much. If you've made it to the end of part five in this series, you are our golden kitties. You are our black kitties. And we love you. Mm-hmm. And you're the best. <laughs> and again, happy Yay. Mother's Day to all the moms out there. And shit. I guess we'll see y'all next week. Mm-hmm. Bye. 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 
thank you so much for listening to the whole series of the Brooklyn Bridge UFO incident. What a story. Please like, review, and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And also, remember to follow us on Instagram to get all the up-to-date information on everything Black Cat Report. Next week, we'll see you with a seaworthy tale. And then we'll see you on the other side.